Hello and welcome once again to the Observatory Science Centre. Today I'm delighted to introduce Jarvis and Sandra to ask them some of the questions that we regularly get asked. Just to prove they're here, do say hello. 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 Okay. So they're looking slightly anxious at the moment, but it'll be fine. I've assured them there's nothing too difficult. But this is all about answering some of the questions that we regularly get asked. Okay. So who wants to go first? She does. He does. <laughs> okay, we can tell how this is going to go. So in view of the fact I'm just going to have to pick, Jarvis, I'll pick on you first. Um... One of the questions we often get asked, or people mis-ask, is what is on the dark side of the moon? And both of you are going to answer this, so mm -hmm. go on then, Jarvis. The B-side, obviously. I mean, yeah, I've seen the album cover, it's got to be the B-side. That's excellent. It's actually a perfect... It's, it's not a dumb question. There's very few dumb questions, because it's a colloquial phrase. It's a bit like the Dark Ages. People aren't actually talking about it as being dark no lights have turned on, is dark as in it's unknown. The far side of the moon is a far better phrase. What is on the far side of the moon? We don't know, because it's always facing away from us. Well, actually, we do know now, because we said spacecraft right now. But that's why it acquired that name. And I don't get too hung up by the fact that people call it the dark side of the moon. What is on there? It's just more of the moon. It looks different, which is why that side has anchored itself to the far side of us. And because that difference in uh, geology, selenology, I suppose is the correct word, means that the far side weighs less than the near side. And the near side is constantly tugged towards it. And it anchors itself, facing constantly towards us. There is no such thing as a dark side of the moon. There is a far side. And for a long time, that far side was as mysterious to us as much as the Dark Ages is to modern historians. Okay, that's that's quite um, a full answer. That's great. Sandra. <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, that's a great full answer. And I guess I'm approaching it from a point of view of what people think they understand about the moon when they say the dark side of the moon. Because obviously only ever half of the moon is illuminated by the sun. That's how we see the moon is from the illumination of the sun. But always half of it is illuminated by the sun and they possibly think like Jarvis said there is a side of the moon that always faces away from us and I guess some people think because it always faces away from us it's never ever lit by the sun but think about a new moon we can't actually see the new moon because of the position of the sun the moon and the earth and we're looking at a dark side of the moon but it's the near side of the moon because it's the side that we always see and the dark side of the moon at new moon is fully lit up by the sun so I, I, I get why people think that it's the dark side but the moon is always got some light on it. I think people probably think there's some mysterious goings on on the side that is never illuminated um, yeah you hear all sorts of Weird and wonderful theories. Um, and talking about theories, Sandra, I'm really sorry about it. I'm going to come to you first with the next one. And that is, can we live on another planet now? No. Thank you. That's, that's as concise as it could be. OK, OK. Can you colour in my picture, please? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, from my point of view, no, you can't. Because, um, I mean, the fact 
it's the atmosphere and how you can live and breathe on a different planet and I mean Mars is the one I guess you're thinking about absolutely and because everybody thinks that in the future and it probably will happen that Mars will be colonized but of course you have to think about what you need to take with you to mm. colonize Mars it, you know you can't just live on the surface of Mars and, and, and build your little cottage and have your little garden oh, because you know that that's not going to happen okay <laughs> you can't breathe the atmosphere um mm. and so it, 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 at the moment no but they're thinking about it in the future and future colonizations of Mars oh, I love the idea of that and Jarvis I know I've asked if um we can live on other planets but is there a chance we could perhaps inhabit moons oh definitely um, but not yet Define inhabit. Now, inhabit also just means you live somewhere. If by that you mean you're filling out Sandra's ideal of having a cottage on Mars and yes, growing fresh Mars bars yes. every day, then that's a fantastic idea, but it's not going to happen oh. because you want to be outside. But if you're saying we just want a habitat on which we, in which we could live, then you could do that. You could perfectly reasonably create an enclosed habitat on one of those places to live. Now, if you want an example... You could go to some ludicrously alien environment where stepping outside the front door is going to kill you because the temperature has hit minus 120 degrees or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And the only way you can live is to seal yourself inside this environment where you're going to have to stay for six months until you can be rescued by the next mission. Uh, okay. Except I've not described another planet. That's Antarctica. <laughs> Oh, you are funny. Yes, <laughs> yes of, course. of course. Those yes. extreme conditions, we already live in those. In many ways, the conditions on something like Mars are not nearly as extreme as they are in Antarctica. Mm. OK, we've got a bit of a problem shipping the material there to build the environment. Yes. But apart from the will to do it, I'd say you actually have got the technology to do it already. So within the next hundred years, there is a chance... Oh, I oh, think yes. so. Oh, definitely. They'd be colonised. I think the, I think the, the, the yeah, nature yeah. of human spirit yeah, yeah. to explore is it's not just a chance. I'd be no, astounded no. if we didn't. Absolutely. Well, I'll um, tell you what that brings me on to. So being of a certain age, I can remember historically some amazing blockbuster films with all this technology and people would... Go She's to space and use... Gordon, no, I'm not talking about Flash Gordon. <laughs> but I am talking about the fact they use things that appear to be like today's mobile phones. It seems so fanciful, fanciful and futuristic. So how much have films stolen from possible future technology? Is there any technology coming through right now? I think we get it turning up all the time and almost inadvertently because things will happen and so the realize actually that's been referenced to it and great examples of things like artificial intelligence you know this idea um so for example if you are watching and i've temporarily forgotten it but i'm arnie schwarzenegger going to mars Oh, yes. uh, what's the film called? Running Man, isn't it? Not, not the Running not Man. Running Man. Oh, no, well, anyway, that film. In that, they've got all these self-driving taxis. Okay. And yet, I could well believe that, you know, give it a couple of years and you will step into your self-driving taxi and, you know, that annoying robot will turn around and say, where do you want to go? And if you're like Arnie, you turn around and rip him out of the seat because you've really got annoyed at him. But we don't. That's not compulsory, that <laughs> I think I think we've also got that, haven't that we? I mean, we've got the... We've got 
little robots that come and deliver pizzas to people and, and what have you. I've, I've seen that on the news not that long mm. ago. So that, that it's working and, and some cars will self-drive, but I mean, I, mm, I'm not sure about self-driving cars at the moment on the roads that we have. But yeah, it's it's amazing, really. I mean, I, I, I watched Star Trek the other day and... Um, it was the the voyage home, I think, where they bring the whales back, and and there's Scotty going, talking to the computer, going computer, computer, <laughs> and the computer's not responding, of course, and it, oh, he said a keyboard, how quaint. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word! I know, yeah, we 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 are quite full on and advanced, really. Okay, so let's take this away from the earth, um, a little while. So this is all about questions. That we often get asked and one of the ones we frequently get asked or I've certainly had many times and I'm sure you both have what would happen when stars collide if you've got a binary star two stars close together then they could reach a point where one of them actually swirls up as it becomes a red giant and it will collide with the other and it can start to steal material from another one. That can dump material onto that first star and you could actually get this star, this process, where the second star refuels the first one. And it will actually trigger a process where it eventually refuels so much it lights up again. This is a bad idea because this is a supernova. Don't do it. So it's not going to happen with our sun then? No, because our sun is a solitary star. Now, and there's an example I can give, that if you're just trying to collide stars together, it's not going to happen. Now, if you want an example of how unlikely it is, if you imagine our sun as being a marble, and you want to collide it together, then you've just got to pick the marble up and throw it and hit another marble. The catch is that the scales are so vast that your first marble is here with us at the observatory in Hurstman Zoo, the second marble is in Switzerland. Okay. And you've got to hit it. <laughs> so that's a bit impossible, that, isn't it? That is a bit impossible. I, I think that this, this brings a curious question back to me because obviously there's an awful lot of binary stars out there, aren't there, Jarvis? Yes. There's more binary stars. Correct me if I'm wrong, isn't there more binary stars? I believe that stars? is the yeah. case because most stars are created in vast clusters, so you tend to get a lot of binaries and triples and so on. So why, why do you think our sun is a lone star. Do you think it could potentially have been Almost a binary was. star system? Now, if you look at a group of stars, a young group of stars, like the Pleiades, it's, there's a lot of stars there, tightly packed together, because they were all created from the same nebula, the same cloud in space. Because they're all created close together, you get a lot of binaries and triples and quadruplets and so on. But that's actually unstable. So if you get three objects orbiting around one another, they're unstable. Two of them will start spinning around one another and turn a binary. But the third one will be thrown out. So almost certainly our sun was born with companions, born with siblings who had an argument with it and threw it out. Oh, oh. are we an outcast? Oh, isn't that oh. sad that we're an outcast? Maybe we're the bold it's adventurer. Quite, it's actually quite nice, isn't it? <laughs> oh. I, I like our sun being on its a own lone in star. Sky, rather than having two suns in our sky. I mean, that, that would have... Uh, uh, maybe, you know, we may not be here. If, if, we'd, if our sun had been a, a binary system... This is all speculation, isn't it? Because it yes. changes everything, doesn't it? When yes. you, when you yes. uh, think about those sorts of things. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so we're still talking about stars and 
I think this is quite a tricky one actually so forgive me for asking this but please explain it in simple terms what is blue shift red shift <gasps> who wants to go first on this one basically I think the way I think about blue shift and red shift and this in my simple way of when I talk about blue shift and red shift in a telescope tour I love having the slinky and a slinky spring and I pull the slinky spring and I go things are moving away from us and each portion of that slinky is the wavelength of light so if you're pulling that slinky away and you're pulling it and pulling it and pulling it the wavelengths get bigger don't they and but if you squash them all together then the wavelength gets shorter and it's like thinking about the Doppler shift, isn't it? So, as you and the siren, and the siren is coming towards you, and it's sort of squashing that wavelength, and the pitch changes. But then, when it goes past you, it lengthens that wavelength. Okay. So everything's shifted too. And the, and of course, you have to think about it. Really, you have to think. It's red wavelength that is longer, and blue wave, wavelength is shorter. That's why we go shifted to the blue if it's squashed together pulled out towards the red if it's red shifted. Jarvis, explain it a little bit better than that, I think. Actually, I don't think that's better because almost always, I don't actually bother with slinky models, not unless I'm talking to GCSE or A-level students because then they can explain it. But I often, often use that example of the siren because everybody's used to that idea. Yes. I mean, or actually better than the siren sometimes is just an engine because it's a constant tone. Yes. And as it approaches you, you can hear that high pitch, and as it goes away, you get that classic change where it drops. Mm. Everybody is used to that phenomena. And if you know what that phenomena is, and you know what sound is, you can actually use it to measure the speed that the object was travelling. Okay. And there was a wonderful classical example, and I can't remember who it was, but this guy was demonstrating this, and he got musicians on a train carriage to play a fixed note whilst the train travelled at a certain speed. Okay. And other musicians, because they were really good at telling pitch, to say what note they heard. Yes. And using that, you can actually work out the speed of sound. And it's a lovely classical illustration of what is going on. There is this fixed note approach to you as a middle C, and as it goes past, it starts sounding high, and it then goes low. And you get that classic Doppler shift. So you... how's it go? Meow. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we also we just got to put in the fact that yeah. the red shift is the things that are moving away from us, and okay. blue shift is things that are moving towards us. So it depends on your perspective in space. Yeah, I mean, if you looked at the Andromeda Galaxy, yes, you know, everybody, you know, people sort of have this idea that that we're expanding, the universe is expanding. Yes, but if you looked at the red shift, blue shift, yes, and then you looked at the Andromeda galaxy it's blue shifted because it's coming towards yes, us of course and then you know and other galaxies are just moving further away and they're red shifted so away and towards yeah so that's it, it's quite a, a a typical question but actually not that easy to explain in a way, it's not. No, I mean, as I say, I, I do it with the slinky in mind. That's uh, a that's and, a and, that's and, a great you know, prop. That, that's how. Yeah. I know it's a great. I I I learn by doing things. I'm sitting here talking into this microphone, but I'm I'm waving my hands all over the place and I'm doing my Doppler shift all over the place <laughs> I, because I, I that's I the, the way 
I actually learn how to do things with with some, and I have to see it. Yes. And therefore, that's why I like to use props because I have to see things working, or else sometimes I just go, oh, I'm not sure about that. Well, you've certainly helped me um, make sense of how to explain blue shift, red shift. I'm going to ask a daft question here. Now, I know Jarvis is saying there's no such thing as a daft question. And this is what flavour cheese is, the moon? Um, um, Wensleydale. <laughs> no, no, no. I saw that film. They explicitly ruled out Wensleydale. No, we, we keep having this conversation in the office about what cheese the moon is made of. Um, yeah, let's quickly move on from that because we'll be going around in circles. Okay. So, would you explode in space without your spacesuit on? <laughs> no I said it was a silly question no it's not a silly question oh. and it's really not a silly question because it's been tried she looks frightening the eyes went wide not deliberately okay but people have been exposed to vacuums in certain situations such as testing spacesuits so a person will be wearing a spacesuit, and this was done quite frequently in the early days of development. They would test this, and yes, sometimes they would fail, and people have actually been... Exp no, they do not die. You'll be glad to know. It's not say, recommended. This is, this is grisly. It's not recommended, because the moment you do that, there are all kinds of things that can go wrong. Every piece of moisture on your body is going to try and freeze dry off your body, it will freeze. But I always think, but what's going to happen to your lungs? Your lungs mm. are composed of all these alveoli, you're probably better than that, which are individual air sacs. Though you go and try to have blood boiling through those, you actually have the risk, if you're exposed to it too long, this is going to get grisly, you could drown in the own blood from your bleeding lungs. Yes. Nice. I yes, just think your blood is supposed <laughs> to boil. the blood boiling is the is the thing, isn't it? Where yes. your blood is supposed to boil. Oh. It it sounds quite grisly. I think I think eventually you might die. <laughs> but you're not going to explode. No, how, but no. you're not going to explode. Oh, no. okay. That scene in 2001 where the guy actually travels through a vacuum and gets back into the spacecraft. Technically, it's doable if you're quick enough okay. I question whether he was quick enough <laughs> that's that's very good okay I am going to round this up with one more question until we get another opportunity to ask more questions and it is could a planet in our solar system move out of their orbit from around the sun well that's an interesting one I mean it depends if something big enough from somewhere else comes in and disturbs the orbit. You have to go back in history, really, for this, because our planets moved around all over the place, didn't they? Oh, Jarvis? yes. I mean, Jupiter, I mean, we, there's an awful lot of uh, planets um, that they've, the exoplanets around other stars, but they're called hot Jupiters, and they're very, very close to their parent star, and this is quite common. And Jupiter was very much closer to our sun, and then it ended up being cast out again. So. It, it depends. I mean, we're quite stable now, aren't we, Jarvis, yes. really? Um, but, I mean, it'd have to be something quite big to come in and <laughs> perturb somebody's orbit around, around, <laughs> the, yeah, around the sun, really. So, yeah. so it's not something that is likely to be imminent? No, but in early star systems developing, it would be extremely common. I mean, it's estimated that half of all the planets in the universe are cast adrift from their stars drifting lonely and dark through the gaps between the stars because just like i was saying earlier when you've got stars in a group if you've got three or more it's unstable 
If you've got lots of planets close together, they're unstable. In that early, those early stellar systems, those early planetary systems, they're going to interact. The planets will migrate to new positions, and some are going to lose out, and they'll wander off on their own little adventures. Oh, they're very difficult to see. I mean, they're very, very difficult to see, aren't they? But then there's loads of them out there, aren't there? Oh, yeah. Do you know, it's, it's not really the most hospitable place to go is it for, for, for us space but but not actually it is a holiday destination then it is it is no but it is a beautiful thing to observe and i know it's something that we do is is like with our stargazing evenings here people can find out the answer to some of these questions and you know if, if, if anyone listening gets a chance to to come here i would definitely recommend it because as we say, there's more to a place than just the place itself. The people involved here are kind of a really good source of information and are always responsive to any questions. And it is one of Jarvis's favourite mantras. There is no such thing as a, a silly question. And he's right. Oh, he's absolutely yes. right. There is no such thing as a silly question. I think if you are curious, you ask. It doesn't matter what that question is it's not silly to the person who's asking it no and I, I you're quite happy if, if people listening to this have a question that they might like to ask but not have the opportunity to come here they could send us questions couldn't they oh they Please could do. absolutely yes. yeah. and yeah. curiosity is absolutely brilliant i think that the, the final word to sandra keep being curious is a perfect point to end on so thank you both for your for your time and um yeah until the next time we get a chance to meet up, it's goodbye from Jarvis. I feel like you've had to do the two bodies. <laughs> <laughs> and goodbye from Laura. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, and goodbye from me. <laughs> goodbye from Sandra. Brilliant. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Hope you've enjoyed listening and keep tuned for the next podcast.
going to interact. The planets will migrate to new positions and some are going to lose out and they will wander off on their own little adventures. Oh, they're very difficult to see. I mean, they're very, very difficult to see, aren't they? But then there's loads of them out there, aren't there? Oh, yes. I mean, you just can't see them because they're not. The, the, the starlight, I mean, you know, you look up at the stars and you would think that it's, it's a, it should be lighter than it is. But, you know, they're, they're so far between each other that you're not going to light up these wandering planets no, are you they'll so. be frozen sitting near to absolute zero minus 270 centigrade mm. lost long from their planets do you know it's it's not really the most hospitable place to go is it <laughs> for, for us space but but not actually so it's a holiday destination then it is it is no but it is a beautiful thing to observe and i know it's something mm. that we do is is like with our stargazing evenings here people can ask aren't find out the answer to some of these questions and you know, if, if, if anyone listening gets a chance to, to come here, I would definitely recommend it because, as we say, there's more to a place than just the place itself. The people involved here are kind of a really good source of information and are always responsive to any questions. And it is one of Jarvis's favourite mantras. There is no such thing as a, a silly question. And he's right. Oh, he's absolutely yes. right. There is no such thing as a silly question. I think... If you are curious, you ask. It doesn't matter what that question is. I mean, some people might think, oh, that's a silly question, but nothing is, because it's not silly to the person who's asking it. No, and I, I, you're quite happy if, if people listening to this have a question that they might like to ask, but not have the opportunity to come here, they could send us questions, couldn't they? Oh, they could. Please do. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. curiosity is absolutely brilliant i mean just keep on being curious because that's how we learn i think that the, the final word to sandra keep being curious is a perfect point to end on so thank you both for your for your time and um yeah until the next time we get a chance to meet up it's goodbye from jarvis i feel like you've had to do the two bodies <laughs> <laughs> and goodbye from laura <laughs> uh, yes and goodbye from me <laughs> goodbye from sandra brilliant thank you everyone for listening hope you've enjoyed listening and keep tuned for the next podcast <laughs>